talking about the event and seeing the significance of the day of Pentecost, we now this morning want to move on and consider the event itself. Consider the event itself. And there are four aspects of this event that we want to consider this morning. First of all, we see here this morning that the Spirit came. The Spirit came. Look in verse 2. Well, we're starting verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. You know, Luke describes here the coming of the Lord. And he says that it was accompanied by two symbols, two signs to make sure that the believers didn't miss it, that they saw it coming, they saw what was happening. The first of these is described as being the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Verse 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now notice Luke doesn't say that there was an actual wind. Rather, the sound like a rushing mighty wind. As they gathered together in this house, as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, remember we looked in chapter 1 and that was Christ's command to them to wait until the Holy Spirit had come. And so they're waiting for this. They're gathered together and they're waiting for the Spirit. They're waiting for the church age to begin. And as they're gathered together in this place, they hear this great noise. And it's like a, a mighty wind generated by a severe storm. That's the sound that they hear. They hear this this great, mighty wind. This sound is in their ears. And it was a sound that signified to them the arrival of the Spirit of God. It told them that something supernatural was taking place. You see, they heard the sound of the wind, but they felt no wind. They hear this great sound, and it tells them something supernatural is taking place. You know, the fact that a mighty wind accompanies the arrival of the Spirit is fitting because when you look at the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for Spirit also means wind or, or breath. John chapter 3 is a good example. Let's just turn there, John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 8 says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now in John chapter 3 verse 8 here, we have both the word wind at the start of verse 8 and we have the word spirit at the end. In the Greek, it's the exact same word. The point is it depends on the context as to how you translate it, as to what it means. And so the word spirit and the word wind are synonymous in the Greek and in the Hebrew. And then also in this verse, we have Christ describing, uh, or so, sorry, comparing the wind to the Spirit. He says that the, as the wind blows, wherever it listeth, so the Spirit works, when and where and on whom ever he pleases. And so Christ compares the Spirit to the wind. And throughout the Word of God, we see this. We see the wind associated with the Spirit, used as a symbol of the Spirit and his power. And now as the believers are gathered together in this place, it is this sound, the sound of a mighty rushing wind that signifies or announces the arrival of the spirits. But not only is there an audible symbol or an audible sign, we also are told that there is a visual sign 
a visual sign of the Spirit's arrival. Look in verse 3. In verse 3 it says, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. So not only do they hear the sound of a mighty rush of wind, but now they also see these cloven tongues of fire. These tongues of fire that come in and settle upon the head of each of those who are present. You know, fire in the Old Testament at times was seen to denote the divine presence, to denote God's holy presence. Just turn to Exodus chapter 3 for a good example of this. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Of course, we know this story well. We know that here's the burning bush, and Moses turns aside to see this great sight. You know, the bush not only caught Moses' attention, but it all signified the presence of God. It signified to Moses that God's presence was there. He had to loose his shoes because it was holy ground. The presence of God was there. And so here with these clothed in tongues of fire, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit descending upon each of these believers. You know, this is also the fulfillment of the words of John the Baptist. Go back to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. It says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so, you know, John the Baptist had said they'd be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so here we have fire accompanying the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so the arrival of the Spirit here is announced with both an audible and a visual symbol and a visual sign. And the reason of these two was to make sure that the people understood what was happening. That's the, reason, that's the reason why there's this audible and a visual sign. It's so that the people present are left in no doubt as to what has just happened. So they understand and they know that something supernatural is taking place, that the Holy Spirit has come and dwelt within. That the, whole, that the, the moment that the Lord had told them to wait for had finally arrived. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's our second point this morning. We see the, the Spirit baptized. The Spirit came and the Spirit now secondly baptized the believers. Turn back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now while the word, word baptized found in Acts chapter 2, in our present passage this morning, we know from Acts chapter 1, verse 5, that this is exactly what took place. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 5, tells us that they were to wait for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And Acts chapter 2 is recording that event for us. It is recording the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
baptism with the Spirit. See, Christ had promised that this would happen. And now they are receiving that baptism. This baptism with the Spirit, sorry, this baptism was the Spirit coming to dwell within their hearts. It was something that had never happened before. This was something new. This was something different. Now, as we've said before, it's not as if the Spirit didn't empower people in the Old Testament. He did. The Spirit did empower men and women in the Old Testament to accomplish God's will. The difference here is Spirit came and the Spirit now dwelt within the hearts of the believers. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon someone for a purpose, for a time, and then often leave them when that purpose was accomplished, when that task was fulfilled. They were empowered by the Spirit, but they were not indwelt. Now, this is why David in the Psalms prayed and asked God not to take his Spirit from him. Go to uh, Psalm 51. Turn over there, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 11. It says, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now David here cries out to the Lord, and he says, Take not your Spirit from me. David was fearful that the Spirit would be taken away because of his sin, because of his wickedness. He was fearful that the Spirit was going to leave him. You see, King Saul had the Spirit fill him, had been empowered by the Spirit, and the Spirit had left King Saul because of his disobedience. And so the Spirit came upon men in the Old Testament, and the Spirit left men in the Old Testament. It didn't indwell them. And King David even understood this fact. You see, with Pentecost, this now all changes. This changes because now the believers are baptized with the Spirit. They are indwelt with the Spirit. They are now identified with Christ, and they now form the body of Christ. Just turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I know we're turning into a lot of passages this morning, but it's good. First Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> In First Corinthians 12 and verse 12 we read, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. That's what takes place here at Pentecost, the baptism of the spirits. The believers are now identified as the body of Christ. Now the Jews experienced this baptism at Pentecost, and the Gentiles had the same experience in the home of Cornelius. Acts chapter 10, sorry. Acts chapter 10, let's turn there. We referred to it last message, but we didn't read it. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. <clears throat> Acts 10, verse 44, it says, when, sp- when Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the ga- Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So here in Acts chapter 10, we have in the home of Cornelius, we have these Gentile believers, and they likewise are baptized by the Spirit. They are baptized into the body of Christ. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, which we just read, Jews and Gentiles are baptized into one body by the Spirit. And so this baptism of the Spirit identifies someone as being part of the body of Christ, being part of his body here on earth, the church. This same baptism takes place in the life of everyone today when they accept Christ as their Savior. This same baptism occurs. If you're here this morning, you know Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, then you have been baptized with the Spirit. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. The Spirit has come at the point of salvation and dwelt within our hearts. This is when we become part of the body of Christ. And so baptism with the Spirit is something that occurs only once for each believer. It's a once-off event that occurs once at salvation. He indwells us and He never leaves us. We don't need to be baptized with the Spirit again. It's once for all. So here at Pentecost, the Spirit comes and He baptizes these believers and the church begins. Thirdly here, we see the Spirit now fills them. The Spirit fills. Look again in Acts 2 and verse 4. Verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit filled. And so we saw that the Spirit came, announced by this audible and this visual sign. The Spirit then baptized the believers into the body of Christ, came to dwell within their hearts. And now in verse 4, we see that the Spirit filled the believers. Now, it may seem at first glance that these two are the same thing. But in reality, they are two totally different concepts, two totally different ideas. As we said, baptism speaks of the believers being indwelt by the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and becoming part of the body of Christ. That's baptism with the Spirit. With the Spirit, on the other hand, has to do with control, has to do with the Spirit giving us power for witness, power for service, enabling us. Acts 1 verse 8, Christ speaks about this. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Actually, 1 verse 8 speaks about the empowering of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. The believers who have been indwelt by the Spirit would be filled with the Spirit, would be empowered to accomplish the Lord's will. Christ had said this. He had told them this would happen, and that this power would come through the filling of the Spirit. You see, as believers, we are never exhorted in the Word of God to be baptized with the Spirit. There's no command anywhere saying, be ye baptized with the spirits. And the reason is because that's something that occurs immediately at salvation. We're baptized once for all. So we're never commanded to be baptized by the Spirit, but we are commanded to be filled with the spirits. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with 
the Spirit. Now here we have Paul and he makes this comparison between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. He says, don't be drunk with wine. In other words, don't be controlled by wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And so we're commanded to be controlled by the Spirit, be filled by the Spirit, be empowered by Him as we yield Him control. And here at Pentecost, this is what happens. The believers are baptized with the Spirit, and at the same time, they are filled with the Spirit. They are empowered by the Spirit to speak in tongues. You know, following this experience here at Pentecost, the believers would have many occasions that they were filled with the Spirit but only one baptism. You don't ever read of the believers being baptized again. only happened once. But they are filled with the Spirit on numerous occasions. Let's just look at some of them. Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So you've got Peter here. Peter received the baptism back at Pentecost. But it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. He's filled. Verse 31 of the same chapter. It says, and when they had prayed, and the place, uh, sorry, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Again, we see these believers being filled with the Holy Ghost, being empowered by the Spirit's. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Acts chapter 9, verse 17, it says, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Again, Paul has already got saved. Paul is now being filled, being controlled by the Holy Ghost, by the Spirit. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. Acts 13, verse 9, it says, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. Again, we've got Paul being spoken about, being filled with Spirit. In all of these passages, we see these believers, these ones who have already been baptized with the Spirit at salvation. In all these passages, we see these believers being filled with, by the spirits. Now, each occasion is talking about them being controlled by the spirit, being empowered by the spirit to accomplish his will. You see, there is a clear distinction between the two. A clear distinction between baptism and filling. Spirit baptism happens at salvation once for all. Spirit filling happens as the spirit gives us power to accomplish his will, as the spirit controls us as we yield him that control. You know, if you like, spirit baptism means that I belong to the body of Christ. Spirit filling means that my body belongs to him. Two different concepts. The baptism is final, whereas fullness is something that is repeated daily as we yield him control of our bodies, of our minds, of our lives, so that he might empower us to be witnesses for him. These two are distinct and we must not confuse them. They have been confused. But we must separate, we must not confuse the two. Baptism at salvation, filling as we yield him control. And then lastly here in Acts chapter 2, we see 
And the believers now are empowered by the Spirit. They are empowered, verse 4 again. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now we come now to the final aspect of the day of Pentecost. And that is the, the giving of the Spirit, sorry, the Spirit giving the believers the ability to speak in tongues. And you know, this is often the most, uh, the part of the, the day that's given the most attention, isn't it? When you look at the, the Pentecost and all that happens here, this is the bit that's given all the attention. And this is the bit that's most misunderstood. You see, verse 4 tells us that having been filled with the Spirit, these believers now are empowered to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, Luke makes it clear to you and I here that these tongues are known languages. They are known languages. Let's just read from verse 5. It says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, uh, sorry, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya around about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, Luke goes to great lengths here to make clear to you and I what this miracle was, what this event really is, what this empowering of the Spirit is. He makes it clear to you and I that it is known languages that they are speaking in. Now, at some point in this narrative, we have to assume that the believers have left the house where they are, left the, the room that they gathered in, and they've gone outside. Okay, They've gone out to the crowds who are assembled for the feast. Some suggest that they're at the temple. Uh, it doesn't really matter in a sense. There's crowds there because of Pentecost. That's why there's all these people from distant lands there because they've come together for Pentecost. And so they come outside to the crowds and verse 6 tells us that word quickly spreads about this miracle. Okay, it says in verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the people came together, and so the multitude came together and were confounded. Every man heard them speak in his own language. Word spreads about this miracle. You know, these, these people are standing, they, these believers are standing up there they're talking in known languages and people are marveling at it. They're telling their friends and a crowd is gathering to see this event and to hear for themselves this miracle. And what they hear is the believers speaking in their native tongues the wonderful works of God. It says that in 11. It says, Cretes and Arabians, we hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Now, Luke names for us here 15 different locations. And he clearly states that the citizens of each of these places heard Peter and the other believers declaring the wonderful works of God in their own language, in languages they could understand. The Greek word that's translated language here and translated tongue 
is the word dialectos, from which we get our word dialect. And it speaks about a dialect of some country or district. The point is that it is very clear what this miracle was. Okay, It was known languages, known dialects. It was not an unknown language. It was not gibberish. It was not some mystical language that no one had heard before. It was known, spoken languages. And we therefore must assume that when speaking in tongues is mentioned then in other places in the Word of God, in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, that likewise it is referring to the same miracle, the same gift, speaking in known languages. The question then must be, why did God do this? What was the, the purpose of this great miracle? Why did God give the believers the ability to speak in tongues at Pentecost? Well, this miracle, as it always was, was given as a sign. It was a sign unto the people. You see, it was a sign. What the disciples and the other believers were declaring was the truth. It was, you know, calling attention to them. It was saying, listen to these guys. They speak the truth. They're empowered by God. You see, with this miracle, God was confirming their words as truth. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14 and verse 21. It says, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. For prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. Yeah, first Corinthians, it makes it clear to you and I that this purpose of this gift, tongues are for a sign. Okay, verse 22 says that, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. It was a sign to the unbelievers to show them that what the disciples were declaring was indeed the truth. And indeed, it certainly served the purpose God intended on the day of Pentecost. You see, because of what happened, because of this miracle, a crowd quickly gathers and they listen intently to the words of the disciples, the words of those believers who are speaking in tongues. They listen intently as these believers praise God and they marvel at the miracle. Now we read of their reaction in verse 12. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Verse 12, it says, And they were all amazed. And we're in doubt, saying once to another, what meaneth this? You know, the reaction of the people here was that they marveled. Okay, they were amazed, they were in doubt, they were perplexed. They couldn't explain it, they couldn't comprehend how this is possible. How can these Galileans be speaking in our languages? How can they know our languages? They were perplexed, they were marveling at this miracle before them. Verse 13 tells that some tried to explain it away, verse 13. And others mocked, said, these men are full of new wine. You know, the skeptics, as always, try to explain it away. Oh, they're, they're drunk. They're filled with new wine. You see, all of this created an opportunity for Peter then to stand up and declare the truth. All of this. Even the, verse 13, even these men mocking, it, it gave Peter an opportunity to stand up and declare the truth. 
to stand up and preach to them Christ and explain that all of this was the fulfillment of prophecy. Verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of God, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. See, it created an opportunity for Peter. They were marveling. How's this happening? What's going on? How's this occurring? It creates an opportunity for Peter to stand up and everyone's paying attention. And they listen to Peter as he preaches the truth unto them. The people saw the sign. They asked questions, which is what the purpose of the gift was. It drew their attention to the believers, to the disciples, so they could preach the word. You know, verse 41 tells us the result of this sermon. It says in verse 41, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls are saved on this day. All starts with the miracle of Pentecost. All starts with the gifts of, of tongues. This sign gift gets the people's attention. Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 get saved. You see, the miracle of speaking in tongues served a purpose. And that was, it was a sign unto the unbelievers that what Peter and the others were saying was the truth. And beloved, that was always the purpose of this gift. But you know, it's a gift that is no longer necessary. It's no longer necessary as we now have the completed revelation of God in our possession. We have God's word. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13, verse 8. It says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Here we see clearly that when that which is perfect is come, the sign gifts will cease. That which is in part will be done away. That which is here is speaking about the completed revelation of the scriptures. When the revelation of God's word was complete, when John on the Isle of Patmos received revelation and it was complete, the revelation was complete, that's it. The sign gifts were no longer necessary. The sign gifts are not necessary because you and I have the complete revelation of God in our possession. As we said, what was the sign gifts purpose? It was so that they could test the truth of it. Test the validity of what the disciples were saying. Are oh, they speaking in tongues? Listen up. This is God working through them. But you and I now have the word of God to test man's words. When man stands up and speaks, we take God's word and we test it. And we say it doesn't match. Well, it's not God's word then. We have the completed revelation of God. And so we do not need the sign gifts. We don't need to speak in tongues. It's not necessary today. You know, while the sign gifts may not be for today, that doesn't diminish the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. See, just like the disciples were baptized with the Spirit at Pentecost, each and every one of us is baptized with the Spirit at salvation. He dwells within, He lives within my heart, He lives within your heart, if you know Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. He dwells within, and as we yield to Him control, He fills us. 
And as he fills us, he empowers us to do his will. Now, like the disciples, he will give us the ability, he will give us the gifts that we need to accomplish his will. He'll give us the gifts, the abilities we need to declare the wonderful works of God unto the unsaved around us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Pentecost. And we thank you, Lord, for the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. For the beginning of the church there on that first, that first day, that first gathering, Lord. Lord, we thank you so much that when we're saved, Lord, the Spirit baptizes us, that, Lord, we, he indwells us. And, Lord, as we yield him control, he fills us and he empowers us for service, Lord. We pray, Lord, you help us remember these truths as we go away. And we dwell upon these things, think upon these things. And give all glory and honor to you, we pray in Jesus' name.